So I have us on uh, Roman numeral three, perspectives on the place of application. Are you finding that? So for a while, because it's right after lunch, we'll do some hopefully practical and maybe a little bit fun things and then get to the, to the serious matters a little bit later in the day. But we've been talking about <clears throat> if the grace of God is the unfolding message in all the scripture, um, how does that affect application? And part of what I've just tried to say so far is application is important in people understanding the significance of the text so that we're not just doing data dumps if we're trying to create disciples. We're trying to say, what does it mean to walk with Christ as a consequence of this truth? So what's the significance of that truth? And um, if, if you're thinking about how we usually uh, approach, again, these kind of biblical messages, just naturally, we think, what do you do? You explain a text, you illustrate a text, and you apply a text. So explain, demonstrate, apply. Just kind of a standard uh, way of, of approaching things. And almost anywhere you go, that's appropriate and right. You start with the text, explaining it, illustrating it. Here's what's hard. This is, if you uh, have a little bit of speech background, you know this is known as a standard deductive message. You say, here are principles. So here are kind of large universal principles. And you move it down to particular applications. So these are particulars. So logically, the inverted pyramid. So principle to particular. And uh, almost everywhere you go, if you're trying to disciple other people from the text, this is kind of like ground zero. This is Bible teaching A01. You know, it's just, uh, here's, here's how you approach things. Explain the text, demonstrate the text, apply the text. The consequence for this is, when does the application occur? At the end. Now, let's just presume that in the average church, your, um, you know, your Bible study time is 45 minutes or an hour or you know, whatever it is, your, whether it's a young people's meeting or a Bible study group. Um, if, if you were actually to say to people, all right, everybody just hang in there. So for, you know, for about you know, 35 or 40 minutes, um, we're going to talk about data, information, and um, maybe we'll get to an illustration. Hopefully it's good. <laughs> and, uh, and then you know, toward the end of time, we'll, we'll have some application. We'll tell you why this is important to you. Now, you would never kind of say those words, but if you were, you, if you were to say those words, what would you expect to be the response? You all just hang in there about 30 or 40 minutes, and then I'll say something that applies to you. What, what would you expect? You know, you know, tune, you know, the channel is changing pretty fast, right? You know, I expect people to be tuning out. Um, and, and this is sometimes what is known as an information model. And it's a pretty good place to start because it, it focuses you on Scripture as the priority. I'm going to explain what the text means. The difficulty with the inverted pyramid is it's not the way people talk to each other. Okay. People talk to each other this way. They say, what's, what's the situation? What's the, how do you deal with X? If you had to face this, if your kids were going through this, what would you do? 
right? So, you know, the moms are sitting on the soccer sideline. They're talking to each other. And one says, you know, say, you know, you won't believe what my son said to me. You know, he, he said, you know, I, I hate you. I'm leaving as soon as I get out of the soccer. You know, if your son ever do, what do you do about that? Um, ordinary conversation says, I want to identify the particular and then discover the principle that deals with it. So what will help us, honestly, if we're thinking about, again, John brought us, remember the big rock that we're moving is application? Remember that? Um, Is identifying significance as we start. So just my little advice for you, as whether you're a preacher or a Bible study leader is, it's, it's usually helpful to identify the particular, that is the why. Why, are we, why do we need to deal with this? What is the situation, the dilemma, the problem uh, that we need to deal with? And then say, what biblical principles deal with that? Our temptation, again, kind of all of us kind of have you know, grade school, high school background, bringing it into Bible study, is we tend to do, we, we, tend to write, <laughs> we tend to write eighth grade essays and then try to tack on some application and expect people to listen to that. And the reality is they happen to be a whole, like us, a whole lot like us. We can't listen to it and they can't listen to it. So we usually have to tell people why is this important before we tell them what's important. And that means... Um, my strongest advice to you is starting our messages with the following condition focus. All right. So I'm not just saying willy-nilly, you're dealing with something. I'm looking at the text, and I'm saying, not just what does it say, why was this text written? What were those people struggling with? What were they going through And how are we like them? When you start that way, you have really begun your message with saying, what's the significance of this text? And you're you're not asking people to think about it kind of academically. Here's just some stuff for you to know, and then we'll get to application, which almost always creates that kind of laundry list of, here's five things for you to do. You know, here's five duties at the end. Now, two reasons why that's problematic. One reason is if you're just kind of add five things at the end, while I tease about it, it's usually true. Even I hadn't thought about them until I I thought I got to apply this somehow. So you create kind of this little legalistic list, you know, these five things. But it's not just that it's this little legalistic list. If what I'm really thinking I'm doing with this FCF is I'm saying, here's the biblical struggle. Here's what God's people are struggling with in this text, and you're like them. And then I'm saying, here's the truth of the text as it deals with that struggle. I'm invested now. I want to know how we do it from the beginning. If if you weren't sitting in kind of a discipleship seminar, but we were just um, talking about how do you how do you speak to people in such a way, not only that they do listen, but they have to listen, that they're really you know, invested in this is? The old Dale Carnegie, if you remember that, how to win friends and influence people, uh, rule for starting any talk was, begin 
by putting a man in a hole. If you put a man in a hole, what's he want to know? How to get out of the hole. If what we do when we start our messages, instead of thinking, I got to give all this information, if you kind of take the next step, saying not just what's here, why is it here? What were they struggling with, and how does the truth of this passage deal with that struggle? Then I'm not just giving kind of a list of five duties, legalism at the end. Think of the consequence. I know there's a struggle. I know there's difficulty. I've got weight of, of, of my life or my kids or my marriage or whatever on me. And at the end of your message, I got five more things I've got to worry about. There's five more, you know, kind of like. I actually sat on the pew to try to get some help. And where do I end up? Five more things that I'm not doing right. Instead of thinking, God is the lifter of our heads. He's lifting us up. So that what we're doing is I'm saying, instead of at the end of my message, kind of more, 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 I'm saying, here's how the truth helps with that struggle. And I didn't make up the struggle. The struggle is what the text indicated. Because I looked at that text and I said, not only what is here, why is it here? So this FCF, this fallen condition, the, the, the human dilemma, the thing the Holy Spirit is addressing, is going to require uh, some shepherding, some pastoring, discipling on your part to say, it would be a lot easier to do the data dump. Just here's stuff for you to know. You know, I've looked up how far it is from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, you know. Why is that important? And, and it's not always going to be, you know, the, the apostle or the prophet's not always going to say, this is why this is important. You know, that's, you, you, you have to look at the context and say, what were God's people sinning in, rebelling in, struggling with, despondent about, uh, worried about? What's the issue going on there that the Holy Spirit is addressing? And then, how are we like them? So, I did that real fast because I recognize uh, we're, we're moving through uh, time here. So under that Roman numeral three, um, the deductive models, did you see what I did? That If you're just making notes, that's the inverted pyramid, right? Explanation, illustration, application. Inductive models are ones that start with the problem, the application or the illustration first, then the application. Here's what you are to do, and then... How can I back that up from the scriptures? How can I back that up from the scriptures? So I'm not abandoning the text, but I am talking the way people tend to talk to one another. The integrated model, item A there, is application from a rhetorical need that you're kind of saying, you know, for you to listen to me, I need to tell you why this is important first. So you put a man in a hole, and then if you're going to make that hole biblical, you know, what's the biblical? Now, I just didn't make it up. Right? I'm not just trying to be how to win friends and influence people. I'm actually trying to say, what's the biblical basis for what I'm saying? I identify the redemptive burden. Uh, I forget, do we have any Lutheran people here? What, what I'm calling the fallen condition, if you were in Lutheran circles, they would call it the burden of the text. And I like that language a lot. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in there. Where I'm not just saying, what's the theme of the text? And often when we're in our kind of evangelical circles, we always say, here's the theme of this text. 
And as much as I appreciate your kind of wanting to get to the core of the text, I actually want to know what's the burden of the text, right? Not, not what this says. Why was this written? And, I, I, and that really makes me remember that the reason I'm preaching this is to release burden, not add burden. Does that make sense? So if I identify the burden of the text, I'm saying, ah, how is the truth of this dealing with that burden that's in the text? And it gives me that sense of, from the very beginning of my message, I'm shepherding people, I'm pastor. I'm not just kind of like, here's information, and then I get to why this make make a really from the beginning. So a lot, you know, this work is done in my study, right? What difference does this make? I'm really starting there. You know, we're all struggling with this. How's the Bible helping with that? So from the beginning, your your attitude is not that of the lecturer. Your attitude is that of the pastor, the shepherd, the shepherdess from the beginning of how you help God's people. You're taking truth to struggle, and the struggle is identified from the beginning. So in your notes, kind of down toward the bottom of that page, as that FCF, that fallen condition, becomes so uh, significant, we need to talk about how you get there. So um, I'm going quick, and you all can tell that. If you remember that Swiss cheese effect, the FCF is really the whole, right? The FCF is really the whole. And if you think, how do I discover that FCF? How do I figure out what's an appropriate FCF in the text that I'm going to be addressing? Usually the steps are we identify the big idea. And again, not knowing the background of all of you, that's the language of Haddon Robinson. So this is really the what question. What does this text say? What's the big idea? What's going on here? But after we've identified the big by the way, we're not saying this. This is our study of the text. So as we're studying the text, we're saying first, what was the big idea? What was going on there? Uh, Elijah just had a great spiritual victory and suddenly has a great spiritual fall. Uh, it is obvious, if you don't know it, that often people at their greatest spiritual high are at their greatest spiritual vulnerability. Right? They expect the high to continue, and when it doesn't, they crash. And that happened in Elijah's life. So we might be saying, that's what's going on. The big idea is a spiritual victory can lead to a spiritual fall. That, that may be the big idea but that you're identifying. But once you've said the big idea, the next in your notes, you identified the concern or concerns that caused the text in its context. So what was going on there? What were the concerns that the Holy Spirit was addressing? Concern or concerns? And this is answering the why question. Not just what was written. You're kind of backing away from the text, and you're saying, why was that written? Why did the Holy Spirit put that in there? You know, I, I think at times we think, you know, just kind of everything that could have been said was put in the Bible. Well, you know that's not true. You've got thousands of years. Why did the Holy Spirit choose those accounts, that passage, that difficulty? Because there is some reason that the Holy Spirit wants us to know that. So if it's not just data, why is this here? 
what struggle were they going through that is helped by this truth that's going on in the text? And then the key thing, absolutely so essential for us connecting with the people that God is putting into our lives, uh, item number three <clears throat> is show how we share the struggle. Show how we share the struggle. The fallen condition is really the mutual condition that we share. How are we like them? Now, I don't have to question if I've really pointed out that there is some concern the Holy Spirit is addressing. I know that we share that concern. Why? Because there's no temptation taken you but such as is common, 2 Corinthians 10, 13. So, no, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. So if, if I'm saying they were struggling with doubt, why did the Holy Spirit put that in there? We struggle with doubt. Um, not so that we'll say, isn't it great that we're not like Thomas? It's not why it's there. What's the mutual condition? How do we share that? Now, just as we're going through hints here, the more that you can be specific about how we are like them, the more powerful your message automatically. The more that I can say we are like them in that, what I did a little bit earlier today, do we ever doubt the resurrection of Christ? When do you doubt? When your child's in trouble, when your health is failing. When everything went wrong, when you've you know, planted the church and now the people don't want you anymore, and you say, is there any reality? Of, you know, it's, it's our own crises make us doubt. And so we're like Thomas. And if you're the people of Israel, you know, and you're saying, you know, we, we just got delivered from Egypt and now we are actually complaining against God, does God ever give us blessings that we then complain about? Of course, we're like them. And the more you can be specific, the more powerful. If you say... This fallen condition. What we're going to deal with today is sin is a real problem in our lives. It's not very helpful, right? It's too big, too blunt, all right? The more pointed and personal the FCF, the more powerful it is. The more personal and pointed the FCF, the more powerful it is. Now, this is requiring us to go beyond just kind of, again, the data dump. We're actually having to think about discipling people. What are they struggling with? what's going on in their hearts and lives, that this will help if they know how to deal with it. And so if we say doubt, in what way are they facing doubt? Fear, in what way are they facing fear? Spiritual victories lead to spiritual falls. Who is vulnerable to that? Uh, a church that just had you know, a, a, a wonderful, great purchase of a new building and we're just doing great, we're all together and so forth, what's likely to happen after the new building is purchased and everybody's been on board for that? Now we have to decide what Sunday school classes go in which part of the building. And everybody wants the best part. <laughs> so suddenly, you know, we're set up for something else. And maybe we need, you know, the message about how we deal with this. What I want you to hear me talking about, and I'll stop in just a second, is the importance of identifying this and actually beginning your message with what is the human situation that we share 
with those people of the text, the one by whom it was written or those to whom it was written, what do we share with them? Because that's putting you in the way that we talk to one another, in this mode, right? Here's the situation. How does the biblical text deal with that? It also gives you a reason to, to talk about the aspects of the text. I mean, you could, you could spend hours and hours of the infinite details of almost any text. How do you figure what you're going to talk about? Because you're identifying how the aspects of the text deal with that issue. You've got a target. You've got a point. You've got something you're focused on. How does this text help us with this? And that, that's, you're not saying... 30 minutes from now, we'll get to significance. You're starting with significance. And really, every part of the sermon is helping people say, how does this deal with that issue that I recognize I or people in this church struggle with? Now, I'm going to stop for just a minute because that becomes kind of crucial for where we're going. So um, some of you are experienced preachers. Some of you are experienced teachers. Let me see if I need to say more on that. And Rob, I'm just going to start with you. Anything more that I need to say about this? In terms of how you get the FCF or how it's important to start with? I'm just going to restate what you said to make sure I understand what you're saying. So when you're giving us an FCF here, what you're trying to, what we need to do is we need to get as particular points as we possibly can of understanding how we share the, what's going on in the text. The, I guess the, the what. That's correct. The, human, the, the concern that the Holy Spirit was addressing in that text. Yeah. Right. You know, you said it very well. That's right. That's better said than I said it. You're really starting with the share piece here, right? So what do we share with them? So, so classic difference between a sermon and a small group. So if I'm doing a sermon, I will, this is my intro, right? Instead of saying Israel is now at their 40th year of wandering, you know, kind of say, tell me what the issue is that's going on. You know, they've lost hope. They've been wondering so long what God is going to do. And we're like them when we, you know, and you'll know the people to say, what, what do we share with them? In a sermon, we say, the first principle for dealing with lost hope is, and you'll, you'll, you'll deal with the main point, right? And, the, and then you'll say, how does that main point deal with that issue? So you're kind of applying all along. You're not waiting down here somewhere to apply. And my second main point is saying, here's another way that we deal with that, and so forth. The classic difference between a sermon and a small group is the preacher is stating main points in a small group, these are not main points. These are questions. Question number one. Question number two. Right? So, um, peop, you know, the, the, the Bible study leader of the small group that is really helping people learn to read the scriptures themselves is still having to say, here's the issue. I think that's always the small group leader's responsibility. Right? It's not just... 
you know, who can tell me how many miles it is between Jerusalem and, you know, we're really saying, what's the issue that we're going to be looking at today that this text deals with? And I may have to take a moment to say, how does their struggle match our struggle? I may have to take them. But having said that, I'll say, you know, what does verse 2 tell us about how God is helping people with that struggle? And then you're kind of waiting, right, to let people see. But in, in a sense, you, you are already putting the breadcrumbs down. In a sermon, you're stating. But in a small group, you're asking questions that lead people. You know, what does verse 2 tell us about? Or uh, when uh, Paul says this about the people who have opposed him, how does that apply to us today, right? When we are struggling with those who oppose us. So I'm, I'm still, in a sense, sermon preparation and small group preparation is not that different in terms of knowing what I'm trying to get out or, or the destination. It's just I'm getting there either through statements or questions. I still know that I'm trying to get help for this issue. But the classic difference is I'm learning to ask questions in small groups, whereas in um, presentations, sermons, I'm making statements about the principles that deal with that. Kyle, I'll ask you, you, you experienced some of this, what, what would help me to say better for people that you're helping and dealing with? FCF, burden, concern, mutual shared concerns, does that help you or your folk to kind of think about how do we get from a lecture to something that really helps people? So I'm putting you on the spot, I don't mean to. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, it was you. <laughs> Anything else that would be helpful in this area or that you, that you have questions about? I'll move beyond it. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Anything you want to add? Okay. Good. Ben, I'll come back to you. You have kind of control of the process here. Any, anything that would be helpful? I mean, this is going to become really crucial to where we're going, that people have a sense of, I want to say not just what this text is about. It's so important to actually start my message with, why was this text written? What's the struggle that they're dealing with that we're dealing with too, right? So this, uh, Rob put it in the share mode. You know, what's the shared issue that we're dealing with? Rob, any, uh, Ben, anything else you wanted to add here? Right. It's st- good. It's thank you because it still starts in the same place. It still starts in the same place, not with. You know, what we typically do is we want to give people lots of historical data, right? Here's some history you need to know. Oh, you know. <laughs> no. Here's what they're struggling with, and you are too. If you can do that, then I want to know the history. But if you give me the history first, I just kind of want to check out, right? So what's, what's the burden first? <laughs>
Good. That's really helpful. So much of what I'm trying to do just is helping you move down the road. So we first talked about kind of how does grace unfold in all of Scripture. Now we've said, but you got to apply it. You're not just supposed to put it on a shelf and say, isn't that nice? But as we're thinking about applying, you're thinking to what, right? To what am I applying the truths of this text? And in that we've said, whatever is the mutual struggle, what, what do we share with the people of the text? And the more we can identify that clearly, they were struggling, and we or us or you struggle with it too, the more powerful it will be. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I will only say that you said it beautifully because what every preacher knows and what every Bible study leader knows is we thought when somebody asked us to preach or lead a Bible study, we thought, man, they're really hard workers. They've been explaining what the text means. Boy, you know, that's going to be so hard to kind of figure out that labyrinth, that maze of the Bible and kind of tell people, you know, what it means. And then actually, you know, you study for a little bit. Well, actually, I kind of kind of understand what was going on there. And, and what we will never feel is easy is applying it to people's lives, right? After a while, I mean, I hope I encourage you all by saying, you, you will fairly soon, you know, with the curriculum you do here, the things you learn, oh, I know how to explain to people what that text is about. I mean, you just kind of, you get familiar with the scriptures, that kind of comes pretty fast. What really gets hard is, how do I get their hearts to check on the truth there? How do I engage them with that truth? And so that's kind of where I'm moving. But I, only, I, I will tell you, it, it will never get easy, right? Connecting with people is a lot different than pouring information into their heads. And so, uh, but the necessity of doing it puts such, not only power in our words, but thanksgiving in their hearts. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I, I need to know how God is helping to deal with that, as opposed to, here's five more things to think about because of X, in which people are like, man, you know, it, it just gets harder all the time then. So, well, I've never heard that before, Rob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, now again, it's after lunch, and so just, just to have a little bit of fun, let, let's say we start with falling condition focus. So that's kind of our intro, and uh, again, standard messages, we kind of know how they're going to unfold. Main points are whole messages. They're, they're going to kind of unfold this way, right? So here's an issue, and then we say, well, 
here's the explanation of how the Bible is dealing with that, and here's a demonstration of how it works in people's lives, and here's how you should apply it. You know, we just, we just kind of, uh, that's just the way logic unfolds and when we're in speaking settings. Um, Particularly, however, if we're willing to put the FCF first and not down here somewhere, you know, here's a lot of information for it. It will go this direction, uh, certain things happen. Now, here's the difficulty, and maybe the pastors in the room are kind of facing it. If you look at the proportions of these bubbles, this kind of double helix, um, you've got a third, a third, and a third, right? Now, um, that is a generic sermon. You know, you just kind of say, that's just kind of standard proportions that I'm going to have if people are going to hear. Now, you know, if, if you really want to be the outstanding scholar, you know, you make that much explanation, so forth. But you just kind of go, that's kind of standard proportions. Here's the problem with the generic message. There are no generic congregations, right? You got people with different interests, skills, backgrounds, personalities and so forth. And so uh, I tease at times that, you know, for, for most of us, as soon as we get out of Bible college or seminary, kind of the, uh, uh, you know, the seminary <laughs> temptation, you know, or when you've been to Porterbrook, you know, at least four classes, you know, what, what happens? What's, how big do these pieces get? You say explanation, three-fourths. <laughs> Illustration, one-fourth. And application, one sentence. Go thou and do likewise. Right. <laughs> and uh, that, that's kind of the, the teasing. Some, you know, you know there, if that's the seminarian's error, let me show you my diploma, is known as that sermon. Let me show you my diploma. Uh, you know, the popular error is something like this. Um, three quarters illustration. <laughs> one quarter application, and one sentence of explanation. People love that sermon, you know. And uh, they may not grow much, but they, <laughs> it's at least entertaining for a while. Now, these are obviously stereotypes, and you know, nobody's going to do all of that entirely anyway. But just as we're thinking about helping disciple people with application that truly makes sense to them, Help me with this, and uh, some of you may be, tell me, tell me what you would do with these bubbles of proportion. I'll describe the situation. You have been asked to speak to the uh, high schoolers in the parking lot before they get on the bus for the weekend retreat. You got the situation? You're supposed to do a devotion for high schoolers in the parking lot before they get on the bus for the weekend retreat. How much explanation? Big, big bubble, little bubble? Little bubble. Thank you. You are wise people. You know, okay. okay. So you know, not a lot. All right. How, how, much, how much illustration? Yes, people are saying a fair amount. How much application? I don't think so. They're going to get on the bus. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say not much, but very pointed. 
at the retreat this weekend, we are going to be talking about, you know, how you get along with your folks. We're going to be talking about how you stay pure when none of your friends are. Whatever, you know, it's probably going to be a very narrowed issue, but very striking, right? They got to get on the bus, and the weekend retreat's going to be taking care of it, right? So you recognize we, we still have kind of each of the bubbles, but we have made decisions about what's appropriate. We, we have not locked ourselves in to kind of one mode only. We've said, I've got to make decisions. Who am I talking to? What's the situation, et cetera? So let, let me deal with a very different one, okay? So this was kind of high schoolers in the parking lot before the retreat, et cetera. Uh, you have been asked... Uh, to be uh, the leader of the devotion at uh, the business person's lunch in the downtown on this coming Wednesday. And you'll have about 20 minutes. And uh, the people who are there are basically the movers and the shakers of town. Okay, so they're the affluent people, they're the, the business leaders, the attorneys. Uh, they're, you know, they're the people in charge. Uh, and you've been asked to address them at the luncheon on Wednesday. How much explanation? People are saying moderate. I think that's the right answer. So I, I don't exactly know how to draw it, but moderate. So somewhere in there. How much illustration? This one's tricky. I, it's not small. Um, it's actually significant, and here's why. These are trained communicators. It's why they are in positions of authority. They have learned if I'm, if I'm presenting to the board a proposal for the expansion of the business, if I'm arguing a case before a judge, if I'm going to stockholders and say we need major investments, for these people know how to tell stories. They know the power of a story, and they will not respect you if you don't. Right? They, they expect you. Now, it better, it better be pointed it, it, it better be powerful, um, but they expect you uh, to be able to put this into a narrative, which, by the way, in our culture right now, strengths of narratives. If all you're doing is you're giving them a long lecture, boy, they checked out long ago. This crazy preacher, this Bible person does not understand how the world works, that you would just do this data dump on me, right? Now, we haven't finished it. Application. These are... Business leaders, professional leaders, uh, downtown businessmen, how much application? Not much. Not much. Why? For business leaders, for attorneys, for what? Who tells them what to do? No, no, you give me the information, I'll determine what to do. You give me, I'll determine. You try to order me around, brother, you are gone. You're never coming back to this lunch, I will tell you, right? You, you, you try to figure it out for me and not, now, if you don't give me the information that's necessary, you're done here too. But you give me the information, I'll make the decisions. Uh, that's okay. We got one more chance here. Okay. Now, this may be not churches for many of you anymore, but maybe some. Um, you are uh, going to give a sermon or a message to a group of people, no, I'm just saying, to a congregation, and this is a, a blue-collar congregation, 
that has been um, multi-generations. So these people, this church has been around for 100 years. Multiple generations. People know their Bibles very well. Um, but they are, they are tradespeople and working class people. And uh, they've seen a lot of preachers come and go over time. Kind of got it? So you're talking about moderate-sized church, historic church, uh, Bible-minded people, tradespeople, blue-collar workers. How much explanation? Uh, I'm going to say small to moderate. All right? Now, the reason is because these are not academic people, right? These are not people who are saying, give me the data dump. How much illustration? Yeah, you're, you're holding attention. Now, everybody, how much application? Why a lot? You are correct. Why? Why a lot? What does is, what is my job require me doing? Yes. Yes, it is because there's a wider variety, for, particularly since I've called you to this a church situation. The others were far more narrow than that. Why else? Do you hear me? It's the opposite of the business people. What do I take pride in? What, I mean, what I take pride in? Doing a good job that I'm told to do. I take, I take pride in the fact that what, I, what I'm told to do, I do. And what do we pray the, pay the preacher for? What's the preacher supposed to do? He is supposed to tell us what to do, right? And, and that is, that's why we pay. And, and, and my job is to honor it. And, and I take pride in, in being faithful in my job. And so I expect, now, you and I must know that everything I've just said is caricature and stereotype and unfair. All right, I, I recognize all that, and you should too. All I'm really trying to make the point is, if you, if you say it's got to be this way only, you will damage your ability to communicate to different kinds of people. After all, what, what were you evaluating as you said, how much application, how much illustration? What kinds of things were you thinking about as you were just talking about that? What, what were you thinking about that was making differences in your estimations? What were you evaluating? What differences were you thinking about? The audience. The audience? What, different, what different aspects of the audience? Education, age, Attention span, thank you for purpose, right? Why are we doing this? Go ahead. How they process information. How they process information. Are they linear learners? Are they visual learners? Um, are they experiential learners, which means you have to push narrative way high? By the way, mo- you, you all don't know this, but I will say to the preachers in the room, most preachers are linear learners. Most people are experiential learners. Uh, which means we try to make them us, and they're waiting for us to be them, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's one of the hard... My, my point is, it's not wrong to vary the model and to recognize um, what's the degree of Christian maturity, what's the degree of Christian background, how serious are the issues we're dealing with, um, is, is this a seasonal message, or are we talking about a, a, a church or a group of people in deep grief about something? You know, we make, we make decisional differences about the scope and the nature of every one of these bubbles, and that's okay. Uh, as long as we, it, it's, it's trying to keep us from getting stuck in one gear and being mindful that this fallen condition focus 
is helping us determine lots of things. How significant is this thing for people if I address it this way, this way, or this way? It's knowing who they are, what they're facing, what's the situation, what's their capacity. The reformers um, always said that when we are addressing people, we need to be concerned for their necessities and their capacities. You hear that? Necessity. I love that. What do they need to hear? What are they capable of hearing? And shepherding, discipling, preaching is serious about both sides of that. What are the necessities? What are they capable of hearing? I mean, even Jesus said, I have more to tell you, but what? You're not yet ready. So if Jesus could do it, we can do it, right? Be like Jesus. No, don't do that. Answer that, Rob. No. <laughs> you're, 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 in every pre- you're in every preacher's dilemma, okay, because, because you recognize. I have to deal with the preponderance of what's here. But to, but to ignore certain people who are present is, is to do great damage. So if I say, example, um, you know, how, the best preachers we all know, while they are addressing the adults, they will try to address the children present too, right? So they'll say, I, I, so we're, we're, we're saying, I, I have to be thinking of who's here. By the way, the harder question is who ought to be here? You know, so you have to learn to preach to people who aren't here yet. That's really tough, right? We'll say, when they're here, we'll start preaching to them. Why would they come if you're not already kind of preparing the congregations and minds and so forth. So everything you said is accurate. And I think we're there. It's really why I'm trying to say you have to be willing to, to change the purport. You can't not have explanation. You can't not have demonstration of some sort. Let me demonstrate the difference. And you can't not have application significant. But to your, to your great point, you have to be so sensitive to who's here in what proportion, in what capacity, and who ought to be here too. And I think you are just astute in saying you, you can't get locked into what you just, your sensitivity has to be kind of turned up high. Our temptation is to say, here's what I'm comfortable with, instead of saying, no, who am I ministering to, and, and make decisions that I think are constantly shifting right, in terms of who's here and who ought to be here. But you're saying if I narrow the application, and your question is very appropriate, we're going to get there in just a little bit, 
um, how do I keep from narrowing the application uh, too much so that it's not, you know, I'll go back to the scripture setting the FCF. What are the concerns of that? So if you're saying, is it me or that? No, the scripture is saying what it is, but I'm tying it to what we're struggling with. So I didn't determine the FCF. The text did that. Holy Spirit did that. I'm still saying, here's how we're like them. And, and that becomes, as it were, the discipler duty. One more piece of preparatory work. So um, this little piece down here, application, as we get to it. It is important that you know, if we are to do this application that I'm making such a big deal about, that application itself has components. If these are the components of the average sermon, Bible study, discipleship program, explain the text, demonstrate the text, apply the text. If those are the kind of standard building blocks of, of any message based on Scripture, I've tried to make it more applicational focused by making sure we are dealing with the fallen condition first, all right? But even still, we need to know what, co- what makes application connect to people. What are its own components? If it's not just go thou and do likewise, what is it? So uh, this is Roman numeral five. What are the components of application? The first component of application is answering the what question. Uh, What should I do? Which is known as instructional, that blank in your sheets there, instructional specificity. What can I, with the authority of the word of God, not my authority, not my suggestion, but what can I, with the authority of God's word, say, this is what God requires of you. This is what God says we should do. So what are the instructions that come out of the text? Everybody does this. Everybody knows to do it. People are waiting for you to do it. Um, You can do it poorly, of course, by having instruction that's not related to the text, et cetera. But everybody knows at some point people are saying, what should I do about that? And, And hopefully the Bible study leader or the preacher is saying, here's what to do about that, right? Here's the instruction from the word. I didn't just come up with it. It's something in the word that gives instruction. So that's known as instructional specificity. Now, what will help all of us is answering the where question, which is situational specificity, to fill in that blank, situational. In what situations in your life does that instruction make a difference? Do not avenge yourselves, for the Lord says, vengeance is mine. Some of us have real family issues because we have been treated unfairly, maybe even abused by people who are dear to us in many ways and at the same time are the reason we have nightmares. There are many things we are tempted to say and do. There may be many things that should be done to help people like myself, but vengeance is not one of those things. If you come from an abusive family, this may be one of the hardest instructions in all of Scripture, but also one of the most grace-filled if God enables you not to avenge yourself, 
but trust him to do it. The instruction is, do not avenge yourselves. Where did I just apply this? To our family situations. Now, what if we were at war with some, could I have applied it another place? The instruction came out of the text. Is that clear? The instruction came out of the text. From where does the situation, so I'm now addressing it in my message, where, does the, where do I derive the situation? Thank you. Perfect. From relationships. Which means that discipling people is not just an academic exercise. It is based on relationships. Understanding what people are going through that you're addressing. And identifying the situations is absolutely critical for people understanding not just meaning, but significance. Are there situations, remember what ethos was? I, I understand you know your world. I want to know if you know my world. Now, preachers who've been preaching a long time are, are better at this. I mean, they just had more life experience of saying, how does the scripture apply to this? And people who are just kind of starting out Doing Bible studies, people who often feel like, I don't want to get that close. I don't want to deal with those things. That seems so hard. And, of course, I dealt with a very hard one just now. But at the same time, how do I do that? So here's my best clue. Often you're able to identify the where by going in through the who door, which I know sounds like Dr. Zeus. <laughs> um, but it's asking this question. I just said... Do not avenge yourselves, like that's what the text says. Who needs to hear that? Now, please don't name them or give their license number or telephone number. You know, you're not going to describe who they are. You are going to describe their situations. The smaller the group the larger the tact needed. Does that make sense? The smaller the group, the larger the tact will be needed to say, how do I connect this with people? You know, if you're in a large church, uh, you say, you know, there are people here struggling with abusive relations, and, and you're there. But, you know, if there's, only, if there's one person who's, you know, been out of the hospital recently and they're in your small group, everybody's going to know who you're talking about. So, you know, you, there's, the greater the tact needed the smaller the group. But the way that you connect to people is you say, let me tell you about situations you need to deal with. This, this truth deals with. It deals with hurting families, not just people on the battlefield somewhere. I got that by the who door. Almost, almost every book on preaching, small groups will say, before you talk to the group itself, have the conversation across the kitchen table with someone in the group. And by they, they don't mean actually have it. They mean imagine. If they were sitting across the kitchen table to them, how would you say this text applies to their situation? So you are saying, who needs to hear this? And then describing their situations with all the tact that's needed. You're not trying to point at people. In order to say how that text applies. Now, this just in itself moves you miles down the road of academic Bible lessons 
to actually discipling people. But as someone, I didn't see who said it, said this comes out of relationships, understanding who you're talking to. All right? So now the next questions, in order for application to be complete, the next question that has to be answered is the why question, which is the motivation question. Why should I do this? Why should I do this? The reason, as preachers know is, our little rubric is, the right things for the wrong reasons are wrong. The right things for the wrong reasons are wrong. So if the reason that you're reading your Bible is to keep the ogre in the sky off your back, Reading your Bible is a good thing, but the reason you're doing it is actually making it an offense to God. The very thing you think you're doing to stay on God's good side is actually abhorrent to him. You've made God and Satan change places, and you're going to buy off his wrath with your Bible reading. Um, Right things for the wrong reasons are wrong. And so it is necessary for us to explain proper motivation knowing that, let's just kind of take the standard means of grace, you know, prayer, Bible reading, and, the commun- and participation in the communion of believers, that there are, there are lots of people in our churches, and sometimes we are they, right, who are practicing the means of grace to stay on God's good side because it is the human instinct. I'll fix this. I will fix this. Instead of responding to the grace of God, we're still trying to purchase it. It is the human instinct. And so we have to make sure that people know that why they are doing things is in response to his grace rather than to gain his grace. We'll come back to that. The last is the hardest, and that is the how question. That is the how question which is enabling, the enabling question. How do I do what you just told me to do? You just told me to put away vengeance from my heart. You just told me to stop drinking. I would love to stop. I would love for the bitterness to go away. How do I do that? Well, I'm not going to tell you. No, really. How do I get this bitterness to go away? How do I stop drinking? Well, I'm not going to tell you. We would never do it in a conversation. And we do it in discipleship and preaching all the time. We tell people these apparently impossible requirements of God. And then we don't say how. And the reason, friends, we do not say how is because we don't know. So we got to get there, okay? We got one hour. (laughs) Do we? Yeah, we have an hour and a half, okay? So let's take our break. And we'll come back to some uh, fairly serious matters, but I hope the best uh, to help your hearts.